would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intentions of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Father, help us to have ears to hear. We look upon the Trinity's plan. We look upon with amazement at the detail of existence and to be a part of watching your eternal plan fold out before our very eyes in our very lives. Lord, help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have souls lifted up with praise and grace that we may understand that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies because we are in Christ. Help us to realize this. Help us to be overwhelmed by this. And Father, help us to drink deeply of your heavenly word that we may find ourselves walking worthy of this awesome calling and this awesome privilege. To you, my King, to my Lord, in Christ's name, amen. We are looking at a thing that the Apostle Paul uses in this one sentence. The sentence is actually verses 3 through 14. It's one sentence, 202 words long. And he starts it off with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he knows what's coming, and he can't help but begin by praising God. Period. He's just got to start there. And if you really look at the context of this whole letter then you understand why Paul is so excited. But what we're looking at something is the church, and he gives it a new term that hasn't been seen on a regular basis, and he describes it as the body of Jesus Christ. It is here today. But what we've seen is that this was planned by the Godhead. It was planned by God himself, Jesus fulfilled the plan, and the Holy Spirit is powering the plan. And yet all three of them have active parts in the body of Christ of all times. It is a plan before time was created. It was planned before existence was created. And you and I right now are hanging out in the throne room seeing what the plan was. This was the plan. We are looking at the past. We are looking at what God was doing before he spoke existence into being. Our next section, we will look at what is the present. The present is redemption. That is what we exist in at this point in time. And then at the conclusion of this sentence, we will look at what the future is. Why was there a body of Christ? Because there's an eternal inheritance. Right? We should be overwhelmed. We should stand in awe. When he says, bless be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I think that we have been placed in the body that was planned before creation, how can I not praise God? With every breath. We should be freaking out. On a consistent basis. 
I'm in the body of Christ. He knew who I was before there was or I was. That should overwhelm us. It's all the body. It's all the body. And it it causes me today to wonder why so many don't understand the privilege of being a part of this. You know, I have been blessed with traveling internationally and speaking in different countries. And I watch other believers, their focus in life, their existence is the body of Christ. Their whole universe revolves around what is the church doing? When are we meeting? And yet I look around in America and it's something, well, I was up late last night on Saturday, so I'll just catch it next week. And it's amazing to me. I remember the first time that I went to Orel, Russia. And it was... uh, Late February, about this time of year. And um, then people get a lot of snow. And you walking down the sidewalks, you felt like you're walking through trenches. I mean, you had walls this high of snow and you just walked around. I mean, it, you know, you just sit there and go, wow, no wonder you guys all look grouchy. I mean, how many times have you had to shovel the sidewalk? A day. And I remember... Now, you've got to remember, it's way north. Okay, where I was was farther north than the tip of Maine. Okay, I was up almost in line with Fairbanks. So you get that weird, the sun comes up about 9.30, 10 o'clock, and disappears about 2.30 in the afternoon. So you just, it's always difficult to say, what time is it? <laughs> and... And, but I remember the first Sunday that I was there, I was supposed to teach a ladies' Sunday school class. And then I had to preach during the worship service. And I, and I remember looking out, and I, I, it was dark, okay? It was cold. And I started looking, and all of these people started walking. Now, I don't know what the temperature was. But I had a suit on and an overcoat, and I only had about 150 yards to walk, and I liked to froze to death to get there. And all these people were walking in to this church. When I seen the church, there was probably close to 500 people in the church and three cars. And you know what was amazing to me about that? They didn't leave the whole day. They had a Sunday night worship. They all stayed in the church all day long and were either discussing or cleaning or whatever they were doing, outreach this, outreach that. They had lunch together. They had dinner together and had evening worship together. And they never left. And the guy looked at me and he says, well, you can either go hang out with the lost or you can hang out with the saved. The people prefer to stay with the saved. That and everybody and their brother could play the piano. The only person in the whole church of 500 who couldn't play the piano was me. Everybody else, they just walked by and started playing. You're like, what the is? And, you know, they told me, they said, well, you know, under the communists, if you wanted music, you'd better learn to play something. I was like, well, all right. But I saw a love for the body of Christ that I have never seen before. 
And it shocked me when I looked at the contrast. Do we understand the privilege of being a part of this? This God-ordained plan before creation. This is the Trinity's plan. And we've been looking at this. The aspects of forming the body. We looked at the aspects of blessing in verse 3. Okay. Bless God the Father. Speak well of Him. Speak well of Him. Why? Because He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. How can I not speak well of Him? All the time. But you know what? Think about it. I was involved with Columbine. When I went over to Columbine, you know what the first question was asked me? They found out that I was a pastor. Why did God let this happen? I don't think you're speaking well of God. Okay? Why is that? If everything's going good, who gets credit for it? We do. If it goes bad, who do we blame? See how that works? And yet I look at it, it's all still part of God's plan that he put in place before he created. So when we look at the aspects of the forming of the body, the method is through election. Why? It's God's plan. He did it before he created. All right? What was the object of the forming? The elect. Those that he would set his love upon in a unified group that will reflect the person of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. What time was the body formed? In eternity past. Eternity past. You know, people say, well, when did you get saved? Before the foundation of the world. It took me a little while to figure it out, but I stumbled into it. Why? He already planned it. He already planned it. He already had the path picked out that I should stumble along. What was the purpose? That the people that were placed into the body would be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. Holy means they will be set apart. Blameless is without defect. What was the motive? His love. He loved us so much, He chose us before He created. That's amazing to me. But see, I get, I get a lot of this stuff and I listen to what people try to argue and I realize that they have an itty-bitty God. I got a God who's massive. I mean, I have a God that the water fits in the hollow of his hand. The span of his hand is creation. He knows when the sparrows falls. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the day of our birth and the day that our faith becomes sight. The very second. That's my God. That's my God. How can I not bless him? His love motivated him. To build this organism that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ today. What was the result? Sonship. Sonship. You know, we used to be enemies. Now we're sons. You ever thought about that? 
Now I'm a son. Not only am I a son, he has put his spirit inside of me that his nature and character are part of me. I must decrease, he must increase. And you know what is amazing about that? That is for every child that's in the church. And I don't care what church you're in, what side of the globe you're on. It's for all of us. Which brings me to the seventh point. Why? What the heck? What was he thinking? What is the goal of the body of Christ? And I wrote it down here in my notes. What was he thinking? I I don't... There's a reason that I'm not God. Because if I'd have created it, the first time they sin, poof, charcoal briquette, I'll make another one. But see, his character was on the line because he says, we made this plan before we created it. Why did he want all of us to be his sons And possess his nature and character. It's really easy. If you read there. End of verse 5 sets the stage. According to the kind intentions of his will. Alright. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Alright. It was his will for his Glory. His glory. The reason that he did this was to show his glory. Now, I hear people today say, well, you know, God's not doing any more miracles and I haven't seen anything. And you can't prove to me God this. You can't prove to me God that. And I said, you haven't seen Christians. They have a completely different nature that is not normal to humanity. It's not the same. Every time I look into a mirror, I see a miracle. I've hung out with me for a while. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I've done in the past. And you know what? God changed all of it. He did it all. And I stand in awe of it. I have watched him. Some of you guys remember Ed Young? I remember dealing dope with Ed. I've known Ed longer than I've known my wife. And I watched God change his nature. He left Vietnam, swore he'd never cut his hair again. I ain't cutting my hair again. Why? I was in Vietnam. I ain't cutting my hair again. Ever again. Hey, whatever. First time I met it, he had a ponytail down about the middle of his back. Okay, we rode bikes together. We did everything that we were supposed to do, just like that. And then God got a hold of him. And I remember him calling me one morning. He says, Terry, i got to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He says, I've been reading. I said, well, that's good, Ed. He says, what does it mean long hair is shameful? <laughs> You might want to try to find another book there, Ed. <laughs> Go over. 
some other place. You know what? He came into church the next Sunday, cut it off. I was like, well, that's, I didn't even know who he was. No, I did. But, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? I wasn't going to say, Ed, you know what? If you really want to be a good God-fearing man, you need to get rid of the girly look. He didn't do it. He did it. God did it. And I just watched that. And I watched God transform him. The day that he died, I was in the intensive care with him and his wife. His wife is not saved. And he was going in for a procedure, and the doctor says he'll either survive this procedure, and he'll begin healing, or he'll die. And he said, well, would you pray for me? I said, what do you want me to pray? And he grabbed me by the hand. He got Pam on that side. He's in the, in the bed. And he looked at me and he says, Terry, if I cannot come back and serve in the capacity in the church, in the capacity that I have right now, I want to go home to glory. With a non-believing wife standing right next to me. So I prayed that. Guess what? He went on to glory. That is not natural to people. That is not natural to people. The reason of everything. Please hear this well. Everything. I don't care what it is. The reason for everything that exists. The invisible and the visible is that God will be glorified. I was reading Albert Barnes' commentaries on the book of Romans. And he says, God will be glorified by your redemption. But he shall also be glorified by your damnation. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20. The beasts of the fields shall give me glory. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Do you understand that? It is all for His glory. And listen, those that don't glorify the Lord, those are the fallen angels and fallen man. And if you look at fallen man, he gets the glory. Asking. I remember a guy telling me one time that he was proud of his humility. I thought, oh, that's kind of like pushing a chain, ain't it? Do you see what I mean? You look at our country right now, and what do you see? Egos. Epsilon, gamma, omega. It's always translated as a pronoun in the New Testament. And it is ego. And it is everywhere. Why? I'm going to get the glory for this. That is fallen man. That is what Satan got cast from heaven. I will be as God. Whose glory is he going after? Listen, the fallen angels have been removed from God's presence. So will fallen man who do not come to the true king. That's why I read, put that poem in that, the bulletin. Why? We talk too much. When you talk too much, you are pressing on to the glory of God. We have to be careful. Guard our mouths. Why? Out of the mouth speaks the heart. 
God will remove from his universe all that does not give him glory. It's non-negotiable. That's why in verse 3 we do what? We bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Why? It is to his glory. Existence is here to glorify God. He leaves only that which gives him glory. You know, I look at some of the things that are going on in the name of Christ. And they ain't giving him glory. And that scares me. That scares me. When I see a quote unquote prideful Christian, that scares me. And I usually point it out to him really quick. Because... As a brother in Christ, if you're truly his, how in the world do you have pride in anything? Remember when we were studying 1 Corinthians? Wasn't that an eternity past, I believe? <laughs> Remember what Paul said? Whatever you do. And then he uses the mundane. Whatever you do. Whether it is eating or drinking, do it all to the glory of God. And you think about that. You ever grab a hold of that thought? How in the world do you eat to glorify God? How do you drink to glorify God? Well, I tell you what, there's this restaurant down in El Paso called The Cattleman. That's to the glory of God. <laughs> Tell you what, they slap a piece of beef on there. You're like, oh, my Lord, I'm about to commit idolatry. No. <laughs> you know, when, when I think about it, the mundane things give glory to God. Do all for the glory of God. Because you know what? Do you realize that that is the purpose of everything? My wife has these uh, bird feeders out there and you got all these little little bitty squeaky birds that see my white truck and says, look, we can color it. But uh, um, they're all out there. And, you know, they're, they're cute to watch. You see them out there and they got bird feeders and they argue with each other and get out of there. It's my turn, all the rest of it. And the other day I was looking through the kitchen window and I was just sitting there watching and the birds were out doing their little bird thing. And all of a sudden this stinking red-tailed hawk came through and just snatched that bird right out of the air. And I was like, whoa, looky there. <laughs> and it lands over there on the table and just pulls its head off. And I was like, well, now that's the glory of the Lord. <laughs> that hawk says, look, buffet. And I, I was just sit there, just kind of stunned. I was like, "Whoa, look!" And he, you know, he kind of sat there for a minute. And he flew off with his little bitty bird in his claws. And I was like, "Huh? There's something you just don't see every day." Okay, so I warned her, "You better keep your chickens under roof," because <laughs> I'm thinking, she, "Hey, look, big bird!" And <laughs> we're gonna. So, but but I, I I look at this kind of stuff, and I sit there and I say, "That's the way God planned it." Okay, listen, 
I want you to grab a hold of this for a second. Okay, you've got to get this down. The reason the Lord chose the body before the foundation of the world. Okay, now get this. The reason he preordained this. The reason he laid it out. The reason he did it was for himself. Okay? You know what I'm you know what I'm trying to get at here? There is no human will here. There is no human help here. None. So all the glory will be his. Listen, if salvation is 50-50, let's say salvation, well, let's, let's be generous. We'll say salvation is 70-30. God gets partial glory? Let's be very blessing of the Lord and say 95% of it was God. And he shares his glory? Well, it's only 5%. Really? You know, there's an old saying that says, road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know what it is? 5%. 5%. It was not man's will. It was not man's help. Salvation, the body, is 100% God. Who gets 100% of the glory? Period. And yet we're bound to determine every once in a while just kind of bump into it and say, yeah, I did pretty good, huh? No, you didn't do anything. You didn't. You know, I was reading John Bunyan. He was in the uh, Tower of London for preaching the gospel. And he's, he had a, uh, a, a crippled daughter. And at that time... Um, that's catastrophic because there's nobody earning a living in the home. And the queen said, I'll let you out. You promise to quit preaching. You know what he did the next Sunday? He stood at the window of his jail cell and preached out the jail cell. He says, I ain't going to do it. And he made a statement. He said, my most righteous prayer has enough sin in it to condemn the world. Now, you think about that for a second. John Bunyan wasn't no slouch, man. There is no confusion here. None. He laid it out. And he did it before he did anything. He had this plan. I am going to do this. And you will behold Paul writing to the Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. To this end, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. That's pretty cool right there if you think about it, right? That's pretty cool. But he tells you why. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. 
That's pretty good. You are counted worthy of your calling to fulfill the desire for goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you. He laid that out before he did anything else. So when you leave this place, I want to ask you a question. How many of us can walk out of here and say, I am from now on going to look at how God will be glorified in my life in every aspect. In the words I use, in the hearing that I use, when I look at things, when I pray about things, when I walk to people, when I talk to people. Will God be glorified? Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 Remember this, it is for his own good pleasure. So the aspects of the forming of the body were election, the elect, eternity, past, holiness, love, sonship, and God's glory is the goal. And that's just through the first part of six. I still have to get through 14. Let us pray. Father, we come before you that you would be glorified in our lives. Be glorified. Father, may our words bring you glory. May our actions bring you glory. May our thoughts bring you glory. May our motives bring you glory. May we look at everything to your glory. Even the mundane, the eating and the drinking. Father, whatever we do, May we please do to the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Christ's precious name, amen.